Greetings and welcome back to Patriot to the Core podcast. I am Thad Forrester and this is episode number 82. Thank you for listening again. My guest today is Mr. Dan Schilling. Dan was with us back in episode number 64 to talk about his book, Alone at Dawn, about Medal of Honor recipient and combat controller John Chapman. That book became a New York Times bestseller and it's also being made into a movie right now. I think that'll be an awesome movie. I look forward to seeing that. I hope it has a huge success at the box office. Today, he is here to talk about his new book, The Power of Awareness. Schilling uses his personal experience from conducting combat and clandestine missions around the world. He founded and then commanded two special operations squadrons, the second being one of America's most clandestine special mission units. And he worked alongside the CIA, FBI, and NSA to defeat terrorists. Because of Dan's unique career, Safety and risk calculation became the fabric of his DNA. He used those risk calculation skills to save his life on multiple occasions. And he states that understanding and mitigating risk is a learned activity, and his mission with this book and beyond is to save lives. He mentions that several times in our interview. But we're not talking about self-defense skills here, like weapons and martial arts. He's sharing how to avoid dangerous circumstances, oftentimes by applying very simple acts of, and observations from how to safely withdraw money from the ATM, how to navigate in an unknown city or area, uh, what the difference is between instinct and intuition, and how to respond if you're forced to take more drastic action. I had a great talk with Dan today. I hope you enjoy, and please give me some feedback. Dan, how would you summarize the book? This book is how not to get robbed, raped, or carjacked using a lot of special operations and clandestine and even some law enforcement uh, tactics. But really, it's by tapping into situational awareness and understanding what that is and not overriding your intuition, which is a critical skill that people have, but they often dismiss. And it can save your life if you listen to that and you learn how to use situational awareness. You brought up intuition. You talk about this in the book, but what is the difference between intuition and instinct? Instinct is your reaction when someone punches you in the face. You are either going to punch them back or you're going to run away. You can call it, you know, fight or flight or whatever you want to call it, but that's instinct. It is a response. It's reactive. Intuition is knowing that person was going to hit you before they took the swing. That's a really easy and, if I could use the word, intuitive way to understand that. It's being tapped into the fact that their body language, their expression, the words, um, you know, how their history, everything that goes into knowing about something beforehand is intuition, whereas instinct is a reaction to what happened. Dan, what what makes you qualified to write this book? I know you are, but for other people, well, why are you the man to write it? It's a it's a great question, and it's a question people should always ask when they are picking up a book like this. Self help or personal safety, you really need to vet the person that is offering this advice. Um, you know, I spent thirty years doing special operations and clandestine work, which is distinct from special operations and we don't have to bog down on that but it's it's more low visibility and it's more uh, less military perhaps which puts you out in the world 
in a more natural state to interact with criminals. And so for me, that's what I did for a living. And I think my sense of self-preservation and risk uh, calculation was enhanced by the very high-risk types of activities I am interested in, base jumping. You know, most people know that I have the world record for most base jumps in 24 hours. And that's a very unforgiving um, line of recreation. And so I've I pulled on my experience in having snuck into countries and alias and walked streets of third world metropolises and, and even, you know, large metropolises in, in Southeast Asia, like Bangkok or Manhattan and here in the States. And so I, I've got a lot of world experience, but what I felt would be most beneficial to the typical human, which is the kind of person I want to reach with the book, was to pull from the best of everyone I ever worked with. So I, I pulled from CIA case officers that I know, uh, one female in particular who's just an amazingly competent person, and other special operations people and from, the, from the best special operations forces in the world. And then I, I wanted to round that out with law enforcement people, but in the form of detectives. Detectives are always dealing with the aftermath of crime. So they understand criminal and criminal interaction and and crime victim mentality and uh, failure, but also success in a way that uh, you don't in military or, or in spy work. And I, so I pulled from all those environments and, and I hope that's what delivers this book as my desire for it to be the personal safety book of the next decade. Yeah. I mean, the way you compiled it with the different experts in the various fields and then the different stories, and some of these were stories that we all knew, have heard of at some point in our life, or some famous folks. I mean, you, you bring in Ted Bundy as well. Um, mm -hmm. It is very, very interesting. In fact, I, I've told people, I mean, I'm a slow reader. It takes me a while, mostly because of my limited time. And then now that I'm not commuting to work, I don't listen to audiobooks anymore. Like, I, I used to wear those things out. So now I'm back to reading physical books again. I read your book in just a very few short weeks. I think it was two weeks. It could have been two and a half, but that's unheard of for me. So it was, it really grabbed my attention. I loved it. It, it spoke to me, not because of just my safety, but my family's safety too. Well, that's really what it's about. I really recommend this book for people who are interested in the subject and who have traveled or are intellectually curious, of course, but in, in effect, uh, you know, Thad, you and I are in the same uh, boat. We have the same mission right now. We're not here to save our own lives. You're not having this conversation with me for yourself. It's for the people you love in your life. And for anyone who's listening, this book is for the people you love. That's who it's for. And, uh, but, you know, I, it's not full of military speak. I'm like the least military cat you'd ever met after 30 years of special ops. I, you know, I'm not a big rank guy. I don't like acronyms that way or military speak. I, I wanted it to be very accessible to the typical human. And uh, that's that's my intent. So it's it's written purposely that way. And I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I, Absolutely. I appreciate that. Well, so in the book, you, you talk about some interviews with some hard criminals and that's another thing that made it interesting is, is seeing what are they looking for? How do they choose their victims? And one thing that stuck with me is 
a criminal or maybe multiple criminals looked at a person's gait. And that's oh, something yeah. that I thought about, because, and I, I've actually thought about that even before reading your book because I, I, my Achilles injury, which I had a limp for a long time. And I've worried now that it's, I may still have one and I don't know it or I walk differently. It's affected my gait. So will you tell me what, what they said about that and how that affects their choosing of a yeah. victim? It was a fascinating, it was several studies. I only um, referenced, I think, two or three in my book, but there's, there are many studies on this. And what was fascinating for me to learn was criminals pick up on very subtle aspects of how people walk or their body language. Attire, of course, is a whole other subject, and it also transmits things about you, and we can come back to that. But people who are walking with purpose, people who tend to walk faster, so people with a smoother gait, very fluid movements, are less likely to be targeted than people who are tentative. And if you think about it, it's a very natural association. People who are unsure or unsteady in their gait are transmitting that information to other people. And criminals, unsurprisingly, are very attuned to looking for those signals because that's what reinforces successful crime attacks. And I was amazed at that. And it makes you, you know, you should be aware if you have a limp that you might be more likely targeted for crime and um, because it draws attention to yourself. And it's Darwinian, absolutely, because and I talk about chimpanzees and, and how violent chimpanzees are and, and, the, and the similarities between them and, and human warfare. Um, you know, they attack from behind and they go for weaker animals. And weaker can be described as if you have a limp or an other, a disability, that doesn't mean you are less in the world. It means that criminals may pay more attention to you. And if that's the case, you should be more aware. Yeah, good point. Let's talk about some of the practical things that's, that's easy to apply to us. So you've, you've been putting out a series of videos, short videos affiliated with the book. And um, the two that I, I know off the top of my head are an ATM and at a restaurant. You know, you can think that the ATM, I mean, I would imagine a lot of people think, oh, I know how to be safe at an ATM. But you really gave some really good, simple details. Will you describe how to, how to be safe when using an ATM? Yeah, and it's, um, and I encourage people, you can go to danschillingbooks.com for anyone listening, and you can see my videos. They're always for free, as are all the exercises from my book and the resources from my book. Everything's available for free, not the book, but all the things I talk about that you should practice are in there. And to your point, the ATM video, the way I like to help people understand ATMs or to look at them differently than they have in the past is ATMs are the human equivalent of a watering hole on the Serengeti. And what I mean by that is predators and prey both come to that same spot, except they don't get water, they get cash. And if you're, you know, the potential target, you're getting your cash. If you're the potential criminal, they're getting your cash. And everybody converges on these spots. And the thing you don't want to do, and people should check out the video, is when you go to that ATM, don't be staring at the ATM the whole time. You should be thinking about what's around you. And before you walk up to that ATM, look around, long before anyone can identify you as heading for the ATM. And you'll see, are there blind spots you should be wary of? Are there people you don't like standing around? 
or within running or striking distance. And uh, and that's really what the, the, the that's what my videos are about. And that's really what the whole book is about: is look around, see, and understand what's around you. My book is not about martial arts or carrying a gun. Yeah. Would you say it's different for the ATMs that are drive up that you sit in your car? No. Well, here's where they have common considerations. If you are in a rush and you come zipping into a bank at night through a dark parking lot to the well-lit ATM drive up, and then it's going to be dark on the way out, if you don't really know what's out there in the dark, you know what's out there? Anything. And so stop. A hundred yards short, take a look at the bank and just look around. Is there a car back in there or two and it's nighttime? You know, are there people around? Could Is there somebody who could run around the corner while you're getting your cash, reach in your window, grab your purse and the money you just extracted and be gone before you can even open your door? It's the same thing. Just be aware. And it's not about paranoia. It's about seeing what is actually there, just being open to it. And that's the core of my book anyway. All right, so what about so advice for women that, that live alone? And, and not necessarily women, but I'm, I'm focusing in on them because of some examples you gave in Venice Beach, California. I think it was about three different women, and it was the same the same guy that was targeting them. But what, why was yeah. he targeting the women that he did in that gated community? Well, in, in his case, he had an M.O., and his M.O. was – he clearly, and I never interviewed this guy, um, but uh, um, but and but I, I got the stories from the detective who worked the crime, uh, all all the crimes. And what he would look for is apartment complexes that had secured gates, so that makes people feel safer. You had to, you know, you couldn't just it wasn't an open courtyard. You had to walk through a gate where that was had a code. He would follow the potential victims through the gate and asked them to hold the gate for them, for him, claiming that he needed to see somebody inside. But it's less about that particular MO. I don't want people to focus on, oh, this is what this guy did, and I should be really pay attention to gates. What really matters, there are two things, and for women in particular, but for anyone living anywhere, is to assess what your vulnerabilities are. And it's about preparing and understanding where you live from a criminal's viewpoint. And in his case, he had targeted these women. They all had first-floor apartments that had windows that opened to the outside street. So security doesn't make any difference if he can get in that window. So he was pretty smart about that. But what matters for anyone listening is, and at home with people with loved ones and kids, is how you keep someone from getting in is understanding how to prepare your home. And rather than bog down on that, while we're talking, you know, I encourage people to buy the book or any local police department or any other book on home preparation and you and and look at windows look at doors and think about the kind of things that you should have inside but i do believe there's a separate world for women i think women in society live in a world of of often double standards and thad you and i aren't going to solve that problem here in the course of a dialogue and it's definitely not fair, and I can't speak for women, but in the course of writing this book and interviewing women and researching this, women are subject to judgments in society that they can sometimes allow themselves to place their their person in in jeopardy because they don't want to be 
silly or they don't want to be rude. These are these two judgments that come against women that said you and I wouldn't have a problem. If someone says, oh, you're being rude, we say pound sand. And it doesn't usually work that way for women. And those are not good reasons to put your life in jeopardy. And what matters, and I would like to emphasize here for, for women, is don't ever sacrifice your 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 life or or the potential of losing your life just to be viewed as polite. For instance, you're getting into an elevator and a guy comes in and comes in with you and you don't like him, get out of the elevator. And if he's like, oh, I'll hold the door for you, say, no, thanks. It doesn't matter what he thinks of you. If he gives you the creeps, don't go in the elevator. Don't open the door to your apartment. Don't, you know, fill in the blank here. Anything that you can think of. Because no one cares what you think after the incident. What you don't want to have to do is is try and recover from an attack. In every case, and, and Dan, I can't remember how many women actually were attacked. I know for sure at least one was smart and held her ground and, and was was spared. But the ones who went against their intuition, and that's what they did because they later said, I knew I shouldn't have let him in. Yes. That's the amazing thing that I learned from this. I, I had already – intuition was a big part of, of my book because intuition is something – it's inherent. You have it. I have it. Everybody listening has it. Even young children know intuitively when somebody is a bad person that comes to the house, they'll recoil from that person. It's intuition. It's a million years of evolution. And it is so strong and so capable that it saved the lives of every ancestor you've ever had for 100,000 years. They all lived long enough to procreate and and raise every ancestor you ever had and throughout human history people were always in touch with their intuition because it was existential you needed to pay attention to it because if you didn't it was at your own peril i say that now it's there's never been a safer time to be a human in in human history out of thousands and thousands of years of civilization than now because you're less likely to be raped, sold into slavery, involved in a war, have all of your possessions stolen now than any time in history. I'm not saying those things don't exist and they're terrible, but you override your intuition because there's no penalty to you for doing so. And so people get complacent. And that's why when you walk out of that office building where you work every day and you cross a dark parking lot every night and you're comfortable with it, but that one night you open the door and stop. If you stop for whatever reason, you should pay attention to that. But what most people do is say, ah, that's silly, or I'm in a rush, or it's only 100 yards, I'm going to be okay. That's the mistake. And I talk about this a lot in the book because that's the foundation for personal safety. It's your own skills that you have. You don't have to be a spy. You don't have to be a special ops guy. You just have to stop and listen. And mostly your intuition is telling you what not to do. You know, you've got a few exercises in the book. And one of those intuition exercises, I, I, well, I took all the exercises. But the one that I remember right now is I was right. You, you Basically, you're saying go back to a situation where you felt you had this feeling. You had no way to prove it, but you found out later that, that – what you felt was accurate and sure enough it was a situation with 
it was a it was a woman and and someone my wife had met and I was spot on <laughs> spot on with it. But was it a good intuition or a bad intuition? In that your intuition told you that this was a good person or that there was something off with this? Person? Off. It was bad. It was it was don't yeah. don't talk to this person. Don't hang out with them. Do not become friends with them at all because they're trouble. And they absolutely were. It was proven time and time again. And and we all have those experiences in our life. What we usually don't do is go back and revisit them and then deconstruct them and think about them, especially to the very first inclination, which is almost always, nothing is 100% absolute, but almost always correct. And when you're thinking about your personal safety, you need to go with that intuition because it's trying to save your life. It's one of the few absolutes in my book that I mentioned is, when you come out of that dark building that you come out every night and you stop, but you don't know why, the two things that are absolutely true are, first off, your, your body's reacting to something. You don't consciously know what it is, but your body stopped you, and it's telling you something's there. So that's 100% true. You're responding to something existential. And the other thing that I say is absolutely true is that it is in your interest to pay attention to that voice. And that means stop, wait for someone else, go back upstairs, call for somebody to come to you. The, the list is limited only by your imagination. The point is not what you actually do, but that you know to do it, not to say, oh, well, in the aftermath, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, and you make the point in the book that we may never actually know. If, well, the quote is, you'll never actually or fully know what threats or potential threats your situational awareness, intuition, and prudent action saved you from? That's right, because you can't prove a negative. I, you know, I'll, I've had many close calls, many of which I, some of which I document in the book, and some of them are exciting, some of them are unfortunate, some of them are my complete mistake, and I knew better. Uh, you know, we're all fallible, but the fact is, you you need to. You need to hone this skill. It's so important to have that in your life um, and to not override it. And I don't – one of the things that I like to point out in the book is it's easier for the non-professional to listen to their intuition than it for an expert in a field. And I'll give you an example. Using the office uh, example in the dark parking lot, if you are going to go to that car but you think somebody's out there, how really disruptive is it to your life to wait five minutes for somebody else to come out or to go upstairs and do something else or to, to make another plan? Okay, it may be inconvenient, but lives aren't at stake. For professionals, we're very loath to um, listen to intuition because if you and I are two special ops guys and we're going to go into a building and I say, Dad, we shouldn't go in there. And you say, why not? And I say, because I can, uh, something's wrong. And say you listen to me. What happens? Nothing. Because we didn't go in. Mm -hmm. And now you can look at me and go, hey, man, nothing happened. But that was the very point. But for professionals who have a lot of pressure, hey, we're supposed to go into that building. You know, headquarters are telling us to. you got to do it in the next 10 minutes. There's no time to wait. For us, that's very disruptive, and we're throwing off everybody else. But it reinforces the wrong behavior because – when nothing happens, we think that's okay. Or we, we think there was something wrong. Oh, we should have gone anyway. And that's not the point. So you never really know. And uh, that's why I say in the book, you know, it's a good thing to never know. Because 
if you know, it's only because something bad happened. And, and we're here to never have something bad happen. That's the purpose of my book. And it's my mission in life right now. I'm here to save lives. It's my goal. Well, I wanted to, to describe a situation that I had years ago, um, probably in about 2004 or three, something like that. And I was well, in, be a, good, I was in um, a, another city and state is Louisville, Kentucky. We were at a big event called Thunder Over Louisville. They had in the spring, awesome show and um, attended by thousands of people. So after it was over, which was it was very late at night. I was very unfamiliar with Louisville. I had someone with me, a, a, a female uh, who was from the area. I don't think she was very familiar with Louisville herself, though. And we needed two things. It was about midnight. We were very hungry, and I had to use the bathroom really bad. So we were stuck in traffic trying to figure out how to get out of there. Well, we ended up finding a white castle, and I, we were somewhere downtown Louisville. So we went in and ordered and sat down. I noticed there's this this young boy, young boy. I guess he was a teenager, I'm guessing, and he was was like yelling at this girl, and she was pregnant. And I, I didn't, I wasn't paying a lot of attention, but I noticed that they were they were kind of loud. It was really him, and he was. I thought they knew each other, and they were just kind of kidding around. But finally, I kind of heard something, and I just looked at her and I said, "Do you know him?" And she said, "No." What I can remember is at some point, I think I looked at my my girlfriend at the time and I said, hey, we may need to leave soon. But we were hungry. <laughs> and I think at this point we had our food. Next thing I know, he punched her in the face. And the, um, Your date or, or the other lady? Yeah, he pun- the boy punched the girl, the other the pregnant young girl in the face. I jump up and get between them. You know, I put my hands out, you know, like I'm breaking them up, right? And, and fortunately, nothing happened. After that, at, at that point, I'm, I'm actually surprised that we got out of there unscathed. The boy then started yelling, and he was like, I'll get you. One phone call, I'll get you. Now, was he talking to me or her? I don't know, probably to her. But we sat back down, and he ran out the door. And we sat back down a minute, and I said, um, I think we need to leave. So anyway, we, we waited a minute, longer than we should have, and we ended up getting up and leaving. We had no cell phone on us. I, I owned a cell phone, but I didn't even have it with me. And um, she didn't have one, so we we got to her car. And the minute I got we got to her the car in the parking lot, like two cars came swarming into the parking lot, like like you'd imagine a police car swarming in, but it where they were not police. And then I heard a ruckus inside the restaurant, so a fight broke out. Some other guys ran in. I know I, now. I don't. I didn't read the news. I don't know if there was a shooting, whatever happened. But we got out of there. And I wanted to call the police, but I didn't have a, I didn't have a cell phone. And there was a payphone in the parking lot then, but I wasn't going to hang around and couldn't use it. I guess even if I could have found a quarter. So, I, I guess I'm telling you this, Dan. It's a real situation in my life that I was very fortunate to get out of. It could have been much worse. But what are some things, based on what little you know about it, what could I have done differently, and how could I have known maybe that my the the situation was that maybe I should have even avoided that place altogether. Well, no, you 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 made a judgment call here, and this and this is one of the things I emphasize in the book. Everything you do is a personal choice. You cannot subordinate or delegate your personal safety, and by you, I mean anybody listening. It is your responsibility only, because we sometimes we feel like oh, crime shouldn't happen to me, 
And when you see something happen, sometimes people look around it's like, okay, someone's going to stop this. And, and you can't expect either a cop to be there or some other authority figure. You know, right off the bat, you need to be prepared yourself if you want to be safe. So with that said, my couple observations are, you know, you needed to use the restroom. You guys wanted to get something to eat. You went to an established restaurant. It's a chain. It's not like you went to Barb's darkened biker bar and walked in as two strangers. So you made good decisions because you still needed to do stuff. I think where you might have benefited from this, but it's hard when you're tired and it's late and your body's telling you it's sleepy time and all these things, is to always look around first. You walk into White Castle, you clock everybody in there before you go straight to the counter to order your food because you're hungry. Because otherwise, you're laser focused on your food and that's Mm -hmm. not safe. That's just, I want food. You ignore a strange place, potentially at your peril. The other thing I would say is, um, you know, you were making assessments of those two people. You first thought they were a couple, then using intuition and observation and your situational awareness, you determined that they're strangers. So you actually determined there was a problem. This is the step three in my book. And you made a plan even though it was, you don't realize you made a plan, but you did. You saw a, a swing, you got up, and your plan was to stop the next hit because she was a pregnant woman. That was your plan. And you know what? Your plan was successful. You stopped it at that point. You got in between them, and then, you know, he left. And so I think at that point, your, your intuition was telling you what to do. Uh, you told me what you needed to do. We should have left right away. And I think you should have left right away. You grab your stuff. Ask the lady if she's okay. You can say, hey, do you want us to find a cop? Or you tell the manager, perhaps, you should call the cops. I think this lady's at risk. Um, so it's not like you have to be the hero, even though that's the heroic thing to do. Um, and then you make your exit. And like you said, you didn't have a phone. Man, here comes these two cars right away. It's a good thing they didn't run up on you two because you wanted to get even with you. Mm-hmm. And so you might have avoided that. So here's why you can never prove what might have happened. You got away without any problem. If you'd gotten in the car immediately and left, you wouldn't even have known the two guy, two cars came back to start a fight because you avoided it completely. To me, that's the better outcome. Running away is the best plan ever. Me, Mr. Special Ops Badass, I talk about it all the time. My number one plan, run away. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting because you have to check your ego, don't you? Mm-hmm. It's not about ego. I'm... If I want to fight with somebody and prove I'm the tougher guy, then okay. My plan is I want to get into a fight if I think I'm confronted. That's not what's most safe. Maybe the guy's a better martial artist than me. Maybe he's got a gun. Maybe he's got a backup around the corner. Maybe a million things. Yeah. And you know what always solves those? Not being there for the fight. And so my course of action is to evade and avoid. And that's what personal safety is. It's just being prudent. And the best in it's Sun Tzu, it's even Buddhist if you like, but the fact is, if you're aware of something beforehand, you'll never be confronted with a problem because you'll have avoided it when it comes to personal safety. You make a good point. Is Something I know I didn't do that night is I was not, I didn't scope the place out. We just walked in. I didn't look, I didn't even probably look around to see who was in there. Not until, probably never until we sat down and then I saw them arguing, and I still probably didn't look around the whole restaurant. Maybe I did. I think I probably did look around to see if anybody else was noticing it. Nobody was. 
Um, but yeah, I think uh, I, I wasn't definitely as a, as aware as I, as I should have been. But you did bring up some good points. So yeah, that well, was a long time ago. Happened. Thankful that we got out of there. Yeah, me too. I'm glad nothing happened. And to people listening, you know, the biggest takeaway here is actually to be situationally aware. And in the interest of time, I don't want to bog down on what that means in my book, except, you know, I break it into two components, your situation. And the other half of that is your appropriate level of awareness. So just going back to your story quickly, your situation was, which is always external to you, is White Castle uh, fast food chain late at night, unfamiliar with the date, unfamiliar place, and you need to use the restroom, so you've got all these things on your mind. That's your situation. Unknown people, unknown place, late at night. Your appropriate level of awareness should be higher in that circumstance, which is probably your shortcoming in this story to start with, because of all those external things to you, your internal level of awareness should be, I should be pretty alert. Not paranoid alert, like everyone's going to attack me, but who's in here with me is an important question. Who is outside? And when you hear the door open, you should always make and pay attention and make an assessment of the probability of what that person is here to do. Order food, no problem, go on with your business. A guy who's radiating anger, you should pay attention to that guy. And so that's what really matters. And I think this is where you could have benefited from, and hopefully going forward, you always will. Now, as a parent, I guarantee you, you're more situationally aware when you've got your kids with you than when you don't have your kids with you because you're responsible for them and you feel that pressure every moment you're with them. Well, so what about um, you talk about a a pack of males versus a pack of females. Can you just explain what that what that means if you see them? Well, you know, when you're out in a strange place, you know, stranger in a strange land and you're either readily identified because you're a different race or a different nationality and your clothing is different, whatever the case may be. When you're not in your own area and you encounter groups of people, you know, you can make general assumptions. You you can call us profiling, but we're not here to hire people. We're just here to make you feel more comfortable about your situation and your personal safety. That's the only thing we're talking about. When you see a group of young males, Young males are prone to doing stupid things because they're stupid young males and they've got a lot of testosterone and a lot of energy. And sometimes it's just, you know, mischief and sometimes it's not. And sometimes mischief can turn into something that is more than mischievous behavior. So when you see a group of males, that's usually a sign to probably pay attention. A group of females, I can't think of any crime case when I talk, spend a lot of time with police detectives where packs of females descended on people and, you know, violently attacked them. And mixed groups tend to be okay, too. And when you see groups of people with children, they're almost always going to be fine. It's just a generalization. I don't really want listeners to bog down on it, but it's the kind of thing to be aware of. But you know what? Most people are, are going to be aware of that when they see five or six males coming their way. And males are different than females. It's just it's just the biology of the world. You know, violent criminals are almost exclusively male, and they target females the preponderance of the time. Something else that you said, I love the way you put this. Your cell phone is the most dangerously powerful oblivion-inducing device ever created. And yeah. you actually saw this 
I mean, that's I think that is an, that is a hundred percent true. I think it's it's I don't think anybody could disagree with that really. But you've seen this in third world countries when you're working targeting terrorists, right? Yeah, everybody's subject to cute cat videos or staring at the screen or typing that text. And my point in the book is, you know, you and I are completely indictable of this offense, driving and texting. You can deny it if you want, but I don't believe you because every human I know does it. And the caveat of, oh, I do it in slow traffic or at the stop sign. But the point is, that's really not when you should be doing it. My point isn't so much about driving. It's that when you are in a strange place, so we get on a plane, we go to London, we're there for a conference, we land at Heathrow, we go downtown London. As soon as we, or as soon as we get out of passport control and we're going to catch the tube, you should not be looking at your phone to catch up on emails. That's stupid. My point in the book is don't be stupid. You know, if you need to check messages, do it while you're still inside customs before you leave the airport. You know, same thing with your passport. Putting all your stuff away and being ready to move. Don't do it outside at the taxi stand. Do it inside. And then look around. Because if you're staring at your phone, you're losing one of your five senses. And, you know, your eyesight is uh, is is uh, supported by your hearing. Those are the two most important senses for you to avoid crime or have advanced notice. And if you put earbuds in and are listening to things while you look at your phone on the tube to downtown London, you're waiting for some skinheads or somebody to steal your stuff because they're targeting you because you're not paying attention. So uh, phones are part of daily life. I've got two. It blows me away. I still have two phones, even though I'm retired from the military. And you know what? I don't. I do not pay attention to my phone nearly as much as I used to. And that's my advice to people. It blows my mind how many people I see walking around anywhere, not just a college campus, but at the mall anywhere, and they're staring at it. I don't. I'm amazed that more people don't walk into light poles that, that do because they're but not paying attention. But they do it because they can. That's the amazing thing. They get away with it all the time because there's never been a safer time to be a human than now. Modern societies in the Western Hemisphere, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere, are safe in a general sense. And so you can just look at your phone because nothing ever happens to you. If you'd been attacked five times in one year and each time was when you were staring at your phone, you know what you wouldn't do again? Stare at your phone. But because people don't have to worry about that, they don't. Now, that's the fallacy because if that's your default mode and you think you can just look at your phone in a strange city after you've just taken an eight-hour plane flight or, or you're in a strange city and you've got a good night's sleep, it doesn't matter. Don't walk around the Colosseum at Rome letting pickpockets target you because you're looking at your phone. Hell, you're there to look at the Colosseum anyway. Look at your phone when you're done. Or if you're using it to map, Make sure you've got two people, someone's looking around, or you've stopped and you're in a good spot and you can figure it out. Do not walk along oblivious staring down at your phone while using MapQuest. That's a, that's a terrible thing to do. Yeah. So it's really about just don't do it when you shouldn't do it. And that's what I, I just want people to realize that they do it too much and, and when not to. Dan, what are some... Is there anything that you wanted to put in the book that you know your publisher didn't want, or, or it just didn't maybe fit the the, the theme of the book? Uh, actually, it's, it was the inverse. 
there was things I didn't want to put in the book that my editor, uh, who's this great, uh, Maddie's my editor. She lives in New York City, like most editors do, single female. She really wanted something about dating in there. And so I, I, I built a strategy around what I think is safe dating for uh, any age group and how to go about transitioning from digital dating like, hey, you're online or Tinder or, you know, match or whatever it is that's online um, and you go to meet that person for the first time. We ended up, I ended up building some strategy about that and, and active shooters, which are very low probability, but they're, you know, a, a guy I didn't know, but we were connecting through got murdered last um, week. Um, he was a, a detective in Terre Haute, Indiana. And, um, you know, it, man, that stuff can happen so fast. Uh, that I ended up putting in there. And I think it's an important book or part of the book for Americans. So it was the other way around. I ended up putting in things that I, I felt weren't what I wanted to talk about originally, which is be situationally aware and listen to your intuition and then figure out if you have a problem and make a plan and take action. That's the essence of my book. It's those five rules on how to be prepared and act and uh, and then the last rule of the book, for me, I, I like to talk about what happens after something happened or a near miss and, and how you recover from those things. I felt was very, very important to me philosophically because they, they're not covered in these kind of books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I know we can't get into the detail here, but you know, some, one of the things that you had offered up is a simple you know, kind of weapon is a tactical pen. And I have one of those. I use it when I, when I, try, I fly. But, um, man, you, you said the one you like. It's, it was a Benchmade, I believe, which I didn't even know Benchmade made pins. Of course, they think a lot of them. I'm sure the quality must be good. <laughs> yeah, they're good. And, you know, and one of the things I talk about, you know, a pen, a tactical pen, anything that you can use as a, as a weapon and if you prepared gives you a, a psychological uh, advantage because you know you've got something. And it's not about having a lot of martial arts, but – you know, a tactical pen can be used to strike somebody in the face and in the eye, and you always want to be striking for the head. Um, it allows you to know you've got something, which is why, you know, guns, and I don't want to bog down on guns, but guns don't do you any good if you live in Huntsville, Alabama, but you're going to Bangkok uh, or Brooklyn or Bali because you can't take your gun. And if your gun is your thing, you don't have it when you're most vulnerable. You're not vulnerable in Huntsville. You're vulnerable in, in Bangkok, man. And so... These are the kind of things you can take with you and how to think about that while traveling. And that's a big part of what I talk about is, you know, traveling safety because traveling heightens all the conditions under which you're more likely to be targeted as, you know, a, a victim of a crime. Stranger in a strange land, wrong time zone, you know, don't know your way around, how you're dressed makes you stand out. You know, all these things converge when you're away from home. So if you've got something you can carry with you, like a tactical pen, you just have a, a bit more edge. Again, it gives you a little bit of an advantage. Any advantage you have can possibly be decisive and save your life. So you should have every advantage. That's my goal. So, Dan, I think about my wife and kids a lot. And you know, when she takes them out, they're still young. Now, they're, they're eight, six, and three. Just imagine like when she goes to Walmart or Target and she's got to you know, at least put one of them possibly in a stroller or the buggy. Or, a, or a, a.k.a. cart for most of you non-Southern listeners out there. 
And then when you come back out and loading back up in the parking lot, I mean, I always worry how vulnerable she is because she's so distracted. Those kids, I mean, there's three of them. You're always being pulled. What advice would you give for women like my wife that have kids that are going out and it's so hard to, it's hard to be aware because they're always distracting you. And the problem is, as you identified, it's harder to be aware. You're tired because kids are draining. Eight, six, and three, you know, you add, you add that up to 17, it really means like 34 because it's like so many numbers and so many kids. And, you know, it's very hard to do. And what it really means is you have to be more aware when you have to be more aware. And by that, I mean in the parking lot. When you get out of the parking lot and you're distracted, if you can pay attention to this, you're going to be that much more aware of a potential problem, which is, could include a car racing behind you and may possibly hitting one of your kids. It's about being aware and just stacking things in your favor. And this is why, this is why the exercises I have for situational awareness are free on my website because my hope is a million people around the world will buy this book and be safer because of it. But no one's going to carry my book around. And what I want is to be a, to become your own personal safety expert. That's the purpose of this book too. Everyone listening, if you buy the book, I want you to be your own expert. And it is, okay, I read the book and there was this exercise about situational awareness and how to do this in this situation. You know, when my book's not there, but you're out for drinks with a friend or having dinner with your wife, you can say, what was Dan Schilling talking about? And you can go to danschillingbooks.com, pull it up, and there's the exercises. And in the doing of that, you'll think about it, you'll talk about it, and then you'll practice it on a regular basis. That's how you become an expert. And that's the only difference between a guy like me who did special ops for 30 years and everyone who didn't is I practice this stuff over and over. I'm not better than anybody else. I'm just another typical human walking the planet. But I practice a lot of techniques that make me safer over and over and over. And you need to, too. So for your wife, she needs to just think about it when she's going to be more vulnerable. You know, if she goes out late at night to go get milk or formula or something else for the kids and you're going to rush into the store, when you first park, just stop and look around for five seconds. Just look around. One, two, three, four, five. Who's around me? No one? Fine. Somebody I don't like? Now I need to start thinking about it. And that's what my book walks you through, the steps to take when you think there might be a problem. It's not rocket science, man. I am not a towering intellect. You know me. You know, we've hung out together. I'm not the world's smartest guy, but I'm really smart on this stuff because I, I did it for 30 years. But really, it's I've thought a lot about this, and I realized that I think this approach – is is very different from what you get in in, in any other uh, personal safety book. I think this is a, a my hope is that this book, which is already being translated into Russian and Mandarin, if you can believe it, and uh, will travel the world and make people safer. And that's that's the hope here. That's my mission. That's great. I've read other books in th this genre. The Power of Fear is the same genre, I think, by Gavin De Becker. And um, yeah, the gift. Fear by the Gavin. gift of fear, yeah, yeah. That book has been the personal safety book for 25 years. And um, it's a good book. It, it's really about intuition. But he doesn't 
help you understand how to make yours better. It's really like it's stories of, of what people did wrong. And it's a good book, don't get me wrong. But it, it doesn't really have practical application. And I wanted my book to have exercises that people can touch and think and practice. And, um, I, I, you know, my goal is that this book will do that for people in a way that that book didn't get to. Mm-hmm. It didn't derive at that point. That's right. Um, but it's a good book. Yeah, yeah. Well, yours is definitely a, a different, and it's it is. It, I do like the exercises, and it it has made me absolutely. And I already thought that I was pretty aware, but this has definitely made me think about my actions and my surroundings much, much more. And also, one of my guests a few years ago was Tim Larkin, and he has written one of his books is the When Violence Is the Answer. And so, of course, his is a, his is a different approach too, in, in many ways. But some of the things, same things, were covered. But but yours is definitely the the one of more to to really be aware of your surroundings and to listen to your instinct and your your intuition. Um, it's a great book, Dan. I mean, I, what what else do you want to say about it? You know, in his case, his book is for when you didn't do what I'm telling you to do in my book. If you if you failed my book. Then, then violence is the end. Yeah, yeah, you know, okay, good that, point. That, yeah, it, it, it's sequential, in my opinion. And I could have touched on that some more. That's one thing that a lot of people expected me to put in the book because of my background and the kind of stuff that I used to do. But that's expressly why I don't. I don't believe in violence. I'm a very nonviolent person. I'll defend my family with my life, and I'll kill people to do it. Don't get me wrong. I will, you know, that's killing is it can be justified. But it diminishes you. I mean, you know me. Philosophically, I don't believe in killing people um, because even when it's justified or sanctioned in war, I think it diminishes us. So I, I wanted this book because that's not the answer for 99 times out of 100. You could have avoided that, and there is no need for the violence. And that's a much better outcome. Go through life, if not unscathed, less damaged, you know, be more whole, be more healthy, be more confident, be more open to the world because you're not worried about being attacked because you've been attacked. Man, if you're really aware, you'll you'll avoid those things. You know, the best wars are never fought because that's Sun Tzu 101. Anything else that you want to add? In closing, here's what I would offer people. It is my hope that if you're listening to this, that you pick up the book and share it with people you love. You've got kids going off to college. You've got a husband or wife who's traveling for business. You've got parents that are living by themselves because they're older. Buy them the book. Get them talking. Get them thinking. Even if you don't buy my book, you should do this. But I think the book is a great template. And my hope is that you get out and see the world because the world is a wondrous place and it's meant to be enjoyed. And I, I want you to do it with confidence. Uh, what's been the reaction to the book, Dan? It's funny. This My last book, ended up a New York Times bestseller right away. This book is a word-of-mouth book. I am getting a lot of responses from people. Um, it's not around the world yet because it's only been released in the U.S., but uh, I, I get these really positive responses from people, which is wonderful as an author. I don't read book reviews, but um, I think this, wor- this book's going to spread by word-of-mouth, and I think it'll be building even this time next year, which is fine. I'm in no rush. I just I just want people to be safe. So, uh, it's been good. 
you know, just I look at it and I think there's things I could do better, but that's the problem of being an author. You know oh, yeah. how that goes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't even like reading my own book, Dan. But you're you're so. No, I can't stand. Yeah, I can't stand reading my own stuff. But but you know, my job is this is my purpose in life right now is to to spend the next few years working on this. My last book, I spent years working on that, and I I wanted to change people's view of the Air Force, but. And in people and heroes like your brother, but in this book, I want to save lives, and I've stopped writing. I am so focused on doing this that that's all I'm that's all I'm doing currently. Is uh, I, we founded an institute around the principles in my book. We're going to be delivering in-person uh, instruction on these principles, and so that's very exciting. It's very intimidating and daunting, but uh, man, I'm excited to do it because I think. People are coming out of the greatest disruption in living human memory, and there's a lot of anxiety. And I'm here to, to replace that with well-founded confidence. It has been a pleasure. It was great meeting you, by the way, back in September in Utah. So appreciate you coming down and meeting me at that at that event. Um, that was breakfast with me. And yeah, it was, it was my pleasure, man. I, I really enjoyed your 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 speech and a, and a chance to to hang out with you because I'd heard so much about you and. And that I appreciate you supporting me as I'm I'm on this new mission uh, with with making people safer and sharing this with your many listeners and to everybody out there, man. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll we'll do this again. I have no doubt. Good, good. So, would you prefer everyone is the priority DanSchilling.com? Uh, it's DanSchillingBooks.com. Oh yeah, okay. I'll get that corrected. Dan Schilling Books. That'll be in the show notes. And that way they can, they can see. Now, do you have a link to your um, YouTube channel from that? Yeah, yeah. So the actually all of them are, but the personal safety videos are all on a separate YouTube channel that I made just for, you know, personal safety. So if they just go to my – if you go to DanSchillingBooks.com, if you just pull it up right now and look at it, you'll see there on the homepage it says personal safety. I mean, the book's all over the front. But if you go – that personal safety has got to drop down. There's safety videos, the checklist, exercises, FAQs, that kind of thing. And I think that, that that's the key to this book is people can come back to it over and over again and not have to carry the book. And, and they can talk about it and think about it and practice things. And, you know, that's how I'm going to save lives. Well, I have two copies. So you just you made me think of something that I never did. And that's I'm going to, I'm going to give one to my dad. Yeah, that's what it's for. You should buy many copies of this book," <laughs> said the author. But uh, um, you know, I, that's what it's for, man. It's not you read it, but it's really like, man, who do I need to get this to? Hey, I appreciate you listening to this episode with Dan Schilling. I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed talking to him. I love listening to other interviews of him. If you liked the podcast, please rate it. Uh, if you go to, I'm on my iPhone right now, so for you Apple users. Go to my podcast. You can scroll down close to the bottom, and it says, uh, well, I've got 4.9 out of 5 stars. There's 56 ratings, but you can tap to rate a star. So just go all the way to the right and hit 5 stars. And then you can go down below, and you could write a review, which would even be better. There is a new a new comment here, or a new, a new review that says, now this is from Aaron A. May. I think I know who that is. Thank you, Aaron. It says, I enjoy hearing about these heroes and especially how the interviewer gets their families involved. I'm amazed at what I learned on this podcast. So, Aaron, thank you for listening and for taking the time to write a review. Some of you, the reviews are easier to do it on the on the desktop. I, I like doing it on my laptop. I don't like using my phone. You can also do it with, uh, I know I have listeners that use 
an Android or, you know, you use Google podcast or Stitcher or TuneIn or maybe something else. Uh, I don't think I'm on Spotify. If I am, please tell me, but I don't think I am. And I got to figure out how to get on there. Most of all the other, the main players are, are here. Uh, Apple podcast being the most popular, but if you would please consider going and rating the podcast and until next time, see you.